from days of long ago. From uncharted regions of the universe comes a legend. Star Joe's podcast episode 196, the Laura Siegel interview. I'm your host Ryan, and welcome back, everyone. Uh, this is going to be a pretty short introduction. I'm just recording this during the night uh, because I had an amazing opportunity, which was I got living in the Cleveland area. Uh, as many people might know, Superman was created in Cleveland uh, by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, and that's something I take a lot of pride in living in this area. Uh, it's something really cool, with especially with my love of comics and everything else. Um, but not a lot has been done in Cleveland until probably recently when it comes to Superman. Uh, we are seeing a lot more things happening in the city, which is awesome. Uh, one of the things that happened recently was there was actually, or has been actually, a display in uh, the Cleveland Public Library. Uh, it's open to the public, and it's Superman throughout history, and it's, there's so many unique items there. There's uh, the desk that uh, Jerry Siegel actually wrote the scripts to Superman, uh, the comic and everything, those action comics and everything. Uh, there's, you know, the George Reeves costume. Uh, there's uh, uh, the costume uh, worn by Brandon Routh in uh, Superman Returns, which looks really cool. Um, and a ton of like original art pages and original covers and things like that, that and just the merchandise and um, just a ton of stuff for any comic fan. They also have like a virtual comic of Action Comics number one, and it's the entire Action Comics number one, not just the part with Superman, but the entire comic. So you're able to like virtually turn the pages and, and read it if you wanted to actually stand there and read all of it. You can. Um, I got to take my parents there this past summer in July, and that was really cool. And I found out my parents had never actually been to the Cleveland Public Library before. So it was their first time taking them there. And the really cool thing about it was I got to 
basically geek out with my parents. I got to tell them like a lot of the stuff that I know about Superman and about comics in general. And they seemed very impressed. It was the first time I think, I mean, they got to see little hints of my knowledge and this geek culture and everything else over the years, but it was the first time it was like, I was almost like educating them on stuff and giving them information uh, for over a long period of time. So it was a really cool experience for me. Um, but then later on, one of the things that was cool was they started having panels at the Cleveland Public Library. And one of the panels that they had was an interview with uh, Laura Siegel, which is the daughter of Jerry Siegel and uh, Joanne, uh, which, you know, Jerry Siegel is the creator of Superman and Joanne is the uh, model for uh, Lois Lane. She, she literally was the model for Lois Lane. And then from that, she also was a lot of the inspiration for how the character developed and everything else. Um, and she met Jerry Siegel because of Superman, which you'll actually hear about. And they fell in love and they got married and uh, the rest is history. Uh, well, Laura Siegel, who they refer to as the real life Lois Lane, uh, because she became a journalist and everything, um, she takes great pride in that and she loves going around sharing the story of how Superman was created and what her mom's involvement was in it and, and everything. Um, they did a special panel because the day after the, the day this panel occurred, it was the day after what would have been Joanne's hundredth birthday. And they wanted to honor her mother, uh, in, in the whole creation of Superman and everything. And I thought that was awesome. So it was a public event. Uh, at the public library, and I went down there with my wife, who was uh, amazing. She sat there and took some pictures. I'm actually going to do a video review of the event, uh, probably in the new year, just so I can kind of show some of the images and everything else that uh, that we took while we were there, pictures that we took, um, and kind of promote the this exhibit a little bit more. Uh, it is an exhibit that's at the Cleveland Public Library until, I believe, March of 2018, so if you have a chance to come to Cleveland and check it out, I highly recommend it. And if you do, let me know. I'd love the opportunity to meet you. Uh, I'll meet you down there or something like that. It'd be very cool. So, um, but while I was down there for this interview panel, they, uh, I was like, you know what? I, I had my phone on me. Let me just see if I can record it. I, I didn't know how it was going to come out. I didn't know if it'd be of any good quality or, or not. And I didn't even know how I was going to get off my phone. Uh, because I didn't have like necessarily a recording app on my phone or anything like that. I just had like a memos app that you can use that comes with the phone. So I just started recording, recorded the entire interview, and then went about figuring out how do I get this off of my phone. Uh, I played it back first, and I was like, you know, this actually isn't too bad. Uh, it's something I could use for the podcast and have you guys actually hear the interview. This way it gets out to even more people. Um, so... I don't know if the Cleveland Public Library is going to like the fact that I recorded it and I'm putting it out there, but I am putting it out there for free uh, so that other people can enjoy it. Uh, so I'm hoping you guys will like it. I hope the Cleveland Public Library, if they come across this, is happy that I did this. Uh, if they're not, I'll take it down. Uh, but like I said, I think this is something, it's a great story to share with everybody. I think it's something that you guys will really love uh, hearing about firsthand from someone who lived through it, which is always the best part of this type of stuff is when you get to meet comic creators or family of the comic creators, there's always unique stories. There's always, it's always the best to hear it firsthand from them. So even though we're sadly not able to hear it from Jerry Siegel 
or Joanne themselves, uh, we can hear it from their daughter who was there uh, to through a lot of the later years and was there to hear the stories directly from them. So uh, you're going to hear things in this that I never knew about. There's actually a G.I. Joe connection to Jerry Siegel, which I never knew about. So, uh, And I have to imagine what she's referring to is the the G.I. Joe that originally came out before the 1980s one. So um, so I thought I just found that really interesting. And of course, my wife turned to me and was like, of course, there would be a G.I. Joe connection there for you. So um, yeah, it, it was a really, really great interview. Like I say, I think you're going to hear some unique things that you've never heard before uh, of the history of Superman uh, and the history of the creators. So I, I really think you're going to enjoy this. Uh, I absolutely loved it. I'm so happy the recording came out pretty well. There are times where uh, Laura takes her micro away, microphone away from her mouth, and I don't know if you can hear her as well there, but I was sitting relatively close, so it was it, it seemed like it picked up pretty well. I hope you guys can hear everything. When she's using the microphone, you can definitely hear her very clearly. So... Uh, I really didn't do any editing with this other than kind of amping up the the sound. So I hope it comes out really well. Uh, I'll certainly listen back to it once I actually already put it out there. But I, I wanted to get it out there uh, right now. And then uh, so you guys can enjoy it. Uh, believe it or not, it's gonna this is going to be out. And then only probably a few days after this episode comes out is going to be another episode. Because I'm going to have the opportunity to interview with the creator of the documentary the toys that made us uh i'm getting a half hour of time with them uh, i believe john is going to be able to join me for that interview and we're going to get a chance to talk to the creator of that documentary it's going to be on netflix uh, on december 22nd so i'm super excited to be able to talk uh, with him and put that episode out there very quickly for you guys the nice thing is with only being a half hour with them uh, i can edit that episode really quickly and add what I need to add to it as far as bumpers and music and all that and put it out there for you guys. So I'll have that out. And then Robert and I recorded an episode uh, to put out right before Christmas. So you're going to get like three Star Joe's episodes in about a week's time, which is pretty awesome. And then I have a plan for an episode to come out just before New Year's and an episode that, and then the 200th episode is going to come out. I have plans, hopefully that it'll come out the day uh, of our eight-year anniversary, which is January 5th. Uh, January 5th will be eight years of doing Star Joes, so I want to have the 200th episode come out on January 5th. So I have a lot of work ahead of me. I have more video reviews coming out. There's just a lot of stuff going on, but I'm very excited about it. A lot of fun Star Joe stuff in the month of December for you guys. So happy holidays. It's my Christmas gift to you guys. So, um, But yeah, with that being said, I'm going to turn things over uh, to the interview. Uh, the interviewer, uh, the person interviewing Laura Siegel, her name is Samantha Baskin. She's a professor of art history at Cleveland State University. Got a chance to meet with her very briefly after the interview was done. Super awesome person. Uh, she was so excited to have done the interview. It was like one of those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities, which I can only imagine it definitely would be. Um, so yeah, it, uh, you'll hear her voice and then you'll hear a lot of Laura talking and she's got a lot to say in the most awesome way possible. So uh, I thank the Cleveland Public Library for doing this event. Uh, I hope we get to see more things like this in the future. And uh, with that being said, I'll go ahead and turn things over to Samantha and Laura. And 
You guys uh, stay tuned for later in the week for more Star Joe's episodes. Take care, everyone. So without further ado, we're going to turn it over to Samantha, and we'll see what we can learn about Lotus Lane and Joanne. Thank you. And we're all here today in 2017 because your dad came up with an earth-shattering idea, an amazing idea about a cape crusader. And we're all fans, obviously. I admire his ingenuity, the fact that we have the first superhero because of him, and we know that superheroes have taken over, right? There are movies, television shows, they're all over the place. So Superman especially is this visible icon, like the most visible, I think, fictional icon in America, more than Tarzan. Tarzan was mentioned in the last talk. So I'm curious from your insider's point of view, because you know, Superman, who pervades American culture, can you tell us about his creation and especially how Lois Lane fits into the story? Sure. Um, it actually, actually, it's so long, it's such a long and complicated story that I'm going to be giving you the cliff notes here. Um, but but I, I am writing a book about it, I'm making a documentary about it, and so the, you know that will be the complete story uh, based on primary research and, and things that I have, uh, you know, that nobody else has. So, you know, I have the original letters exchanged. I have, uh, you know, my mom's diary, you know, from the first year of the marriage of my dad. I mean, there's there's a lot of fascinating stuff that I, I hope all of you will want to read when it eventually comes out. Um, but but to just to, to try and, and focus this because I could speak for hours on your question. Uh, I'm going to talk about the creation. In, uh, and kind of give you a timeline of what led up to Lois and how she entered the picture and why she entered the picture. So um, I, I wrote some crib notes for myself. You know, as, as you probably know, um, my dad wanted to be a writer his entire life. Uh, when he was a little kid, he was reading everything, uh, you know, very very much a fan of science fiction and the pulps and action uh, stories and swashbuckling stories and things like that. But his great love was science fiction. And, you know, that led him into wanting to write and publish stories about science fiction and ones that he wrote and ones that other people wrote. So while he was still going to Glenville High School, he, uh, he started his own little magazine that he, it's called Science Fiction, and um, it was one of the first um, magazines of its type uh, in the country. And he put little ads in some science fiction magazines, professional science fiction magazines, trying to sell it for 15 cents a copy, or you know, people could um, buy, I, I think it was a dollar fifty for an entire year subscription, something like that. Anyway, so he was, you know, he was on the track of doing that, and his um, his cousin introduced him to, you know, an, an artist who ended up working on the school newspaper with my dad, named Joe Schuster. So my my dad, you know, would um, he, he found that 
that there was a great kinship between between my dad and Jeff. But you know, my dad was the idea man. He was you know the writer, and so once he wanted something to be visualized, he would describe it to Joe, or in his scripts, he actually wrote descriptions of what he wanted panels to, to say, and, and to see the action in it. So he had this idea, the original idea was that Superman was going to be a villain, and, uh, and that was in, um, in the, one of the early issues of this science fiction magazine that, that he was putting out. Uh, but you know, then he decided that you know, rather than just selling this through the mail for 15 cents a copy, you know, he he wanted uh, the character. At this point, it was just Superman, and Lois Lane was not involved. He wanted wanted the character to have wide exposure because he believed in it so much, and he believed in the message that he was trying to convey. Once he turned it around into a hero. And that person was called the Superman. And so he started, um, and he was still, mind you, he was a junior at, at uh, Glenville High School at the time. But he wrote up a script, and um, and Joe drew up some drawings for, you know, like the be beginning of it, and it was intended to be a newspaper strip. And so he submitted it around. And, um, you know, the, the science fiction uh version with as the villain came out of January 1933. And then the Superman version that he was sending out, um, let me see, okay, so he sent it among the, among the people that he submitted it to was uh, the guy who was the publisher of a magazine that was on the stands, uh, a very early comic book that was called Detective Dan. And so um, he, he wrote and submitted it to the guy in June of 1933. And so this helps you see, you know, it's like in January, he was a, Superman was a villain. By June, he had already decided, no, that he's going to be a hero. And so he was submitting it. And, and the guy was really very interested in it. And so he was going to publish a Superman comic book. This was Consolidated Publishing back in 1933. So you can imagine the excitement of my dad, a junior high, a junior high kid, not a junior high, a junior in high school kid who um, was having the, the opportunity to maybe have his work, you know, seen on a national level. But, you know, it, the, the guy ran out of money, he couldn't publish it, and so my dad and Joe were back to where they started. At that point, Joe got very discouraged, and I'm sure you heard the famous story that Joe tore up all of the artwork and threw it into the furnace, and my dad begged him to not throw the cover art in there, and, and so Joe gave that to my dad. I still have it. So anyway, the, um, he, and so Joe said, that's it, I'm out. You know, I, I just, I, I really can't do this too much heartbreak. And so, so my dad started contacting artists who were already publishing, you know, getting published with, with other you know, characters. And so one of the people that he, uh, that he started corresponding with was Leo E. Amelia, who you may or may not have heard, but he, he was a wonderful artist who was doing a futuristic um, you know, strip that was in the, uh, in the newspaper that was called, I think it's Roadway, so double-checking him. Anyway, um, 
by, oh no, 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 pardon me, he was doing Fu Manchu. My dad was corresponding with a lot of different artists at that point. But Amelia, who was doing Fu Manchu, said, I see what you're trying to do with Superman, and this is exciting, and I want to be a part of it. And so he started drawing up things, but in the correspondence, he, he said to, to my dad, you know, maybe you should think about adding a female character to this because it'll break up the action. You know, you'll, you'll have, you'll have a, a woman who can have some, some romance, but he didn't say anything more than that. And my dad, you know, started thinking, okay, you know, that's, that's a pretty good idea. And that was in, um, let's see, that was in November 19, uh, 1934. So, so my dad started working on the character, and he wasn't exactly sure who this woman was going to be. But then he got the idea, because he was working on his school newspaper, that it would be interesting to have a reporter. You know, the woman would be a reporter. And so that was part of him forming this idea about Superman having a, um, uh, you know, a secret identity, who was also a newspaper man. But that was kind of as far as it went. And so Joe, uh, who was going to, you know, he's back in the picture now, uh, because Amelia had too much work to, to do and he couldn't work on Superman any longer. So uh, so he talked to Joe and you know and said, okay, you know, now I, I want you know this this female character in it. And Joe had taken some uh, Joe was in the same grade, you know, by the way. So they were they were just about to graduate. They were seniors by this time. And uh, Joe said, well, if I'm going to draw a woman and if I'm going to end up, you know, having her in the arms of somebody who's, like, carrying her through the sky, which my dad had described to him, he said, I, I want to hire a model. So, because that's what they did in art school. And um, simultaneously, in a different part of Cleveland, my dad and Joe lived in Glenville, but my mom lived over in, uh, in the area near uh, Kinsman and uh, Rawlings. And uh, she was going to Rawlings Junior High at the time. But, you know, here it was, the Depression. Her family was really poor. In fact, they were poorer than my dad. My dad and Joe's family. And she wanted to make some money so that she could go to see movies and, you know, and do, do stuff like that. So she loved going, going to see films of the time. And she used to imitate the way she'd go home, and she'd imitate the actresses. And this, this is once she got the job. She, um, she would imitate the way the actresses would pose, and so she got the idea of putting an ad. In, do we have the ad? Do we go by that already? Okay. So this is the ad that she put in, uh, in the January, uh, the first week of January, 1935. And so she put this artist model, no experience, <laughs> box number, the plane dealer, and she got a, a lot of mail, you know, as, as a response to that. And she took that mail and came here to the Cleveland Public Library and spread it out on one of the big tables and started going through them. And most of them were guys asking her for a date. <laughs> so, so, you know, that, that wasn't really going to give her the job, but this, this one particular letter was written by a Mr. Joseph Schuster, who was an artist, who said, yes, I'm looking for a model, 
and I'm looking for somebody to hire who's actually going to pay her to do this. And so, um, so she thought that that you know would really be fun. And so they set up a, a particular date on a Saturday. So she went over. She took three streetcars to get from her neighborhood over to Glen Glenville, and she went to to uh, Joe had a, uh, Joe's family had an apartment on Avon Avenue, and um, and so she she went to uh, to me. Joe she was here for the first time. And uh, there's a long, funny story that my mom always, always used to tell about that, which is she went, she went to the door, and, and all the correspondents always said, Mr. Joseph Schuster. So she thought this, this was a guy who was considerably older than she was. And, um, and it turned out that you know, this kid answered the door wearing glasses, who was the same height that she was, and just like a couple of years older than her. So they got into this great conversation about... Um, you know, about movies that they liked and books that they liked and, and everything. And finally, my mom said, is Mr. Schuster here? And he said, I'm Mr. Schuster. <laughs> and so she, she was, you know, like really excited that here was somebody that she could relate to. And he was immediately relating to her. And so, um, so then he said, yeah, you know, I, I'd like to hire you. And so he... he had, and his mom was like looking in and watching up the whole thing because she wanted wanted to make sure that you know this this model wasn't so losing. And, and my, my mom was happy that you know that his mom was there because she didn't know who this artist was, you know. But uh, but he had her, um, you know, like sit on a chair and, and kind of drape herself over the chair and the the. You know, to take a position of someone in the arms of, of somebody who was carrying her, and so um, so on that very first meeting, Joe was, was doing these drawings. This is actually a drawing that he did of my mom a few years later, because none of, none of the original I don't have any of the original art, but as you can see, there is my mom, there is Lois Lane, and uh, you know, and so he. He used her hairstyle. He used, you know, uh, like the shape of her face and, and a lot of different things. In the next room, and I'm, you know, I'm like rambling on. So if you want to interrupt me with questions, it's so interesting when you're ready. I have so many Okay, okay. Well, this is cool. I'm getting, I'm getting to the end of this part. But, but anyway, in the next room, while my mom was posing, was my dad. Uh, Jerry Siegel, the writer, also wanted to see, okay, who is this model going to be and what she's going to be like. And so he came in, into the next room and Joe showed her some pictures that he had already drawn of Superman. So she knew what the Superman side of the story was going to look like. And she was the first outsider, you know, outside of, of Joe and Jerry and, and a couple of members of their family that knew the, the Superman part of the story and what this character was going to look like. And she was overwhelmed. And she told, told them immediately, she said, I have a great feeling about this. I, I really think this is going to be a hit. You know, and you guys are going to be famous. And she told them that on their first meeting. And, and when she, you know, she posed the first time, and so they were excited because they were like all kids together, you know, with dreams of wanting to be successes in the world. 
And so um, my dad kind of acted out with Joe, you know, what he wanted some of the action to be. And, the, you know, and my mom was just like, wow, this is fantastic. And, um, and so they all became friends. And so she was, she was paid $1.50 an hour, which was the going rate for models in art schools. Um, and and it, she worked one hour a week on, on Saturdays. And so she went back on several consecutive Saturdays. And so she started seeing how Lois Lane was going to look. They didn't even have the name of the character then. It was just... I think they called it uh, the girl reporter. But she was going to be a significant character. You know, my dad just had zero in on exactly what he wanted to call her. But from that very first meeting, when my dad was jumping around and showing how Superman would fly and stuff like that, he was he was taken by by my mom and her personality. And I want to read you what what he wrote about his first meeting with my mom. And so he said, I, I must admit that seeing Lois Lane in person made my head spin. I thought she was terrific. She was very bright and strikingly attractive. Her hairstyle, her shapely figure, her very lovely face was exactly right for the Dairy Girl reporter. And she had a lot of enthusiasm like Joe and me. I thought she was a perfect Lois Lane but I was too meek and mild to let Joanne know how great I thought she was. <laughs> so there was, you know, so my dad is Clark Kent and at the same time acting as Superman and there was Lois Lane in the flesh. And, and after that, just to, to sum this up, af- after that my mom made such an impression on, on my dad that he finally found the personality that clicked for him of that was who this girl reporter was going to be. She was going to be smart, she was going to be funny at times, and she was going to you know, have the independent and show a lot of ambition. And those were all you know, qualities of my mom. And so that's how the character, the personality of Lois Lane started developing. And Lois has moxie, she's gutsy. Exactly. And she's so perky. Now, you talked about the name, right. how the name Lois Lane came. Yes. And I don't know if everybody's familiar with this, but Torchy Lane served as something of a model. Torchy Lane was a female reporter in some very B movies yeah. with awful names like Smart Blonde <laughs> and other. Blonde is a recurring name in the titles. Yes. So, what about Torchy's personality? Torchy's personality intrigued your dad too. Yes. The idea of a female reporter, and also the one of the actresses who played Torchy at one point. Her name, Lola Lane, right. turned into right. morphed into Lois Lane. Exactly. So you know, so the dad got my dad got an inspiration for, you know, beginning to flesh out character. And then a, a year or two afterwards, the first Torchy Blaine movie came out. And, and it clicked with him. And so then he said, that's, that's it. And so he, he took more of her no-nonsense, you know, got to get the scoop, uh, you know, the, her determination. A lot of the qualities of my mom, but there it was on the big screen. And he was, he was seeing Glenda Farrell, who was the the actress and who was who was absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, putting putting out more of what he wanted 
for the character. And so then, as as you mentioned, Glenn Carroll um, did, a, you know, like the beginning of the um, of the Torchy Blaine uh, films. And then at one point, the studio decided they were going to bring in a different actress. And um, and her name was Lola Lane, and she was you know one of the Lane sisters who you know performed together in certain movies. And he loved that. My dad was was really big on alliterations, <laughs> so he he loved to name characters that had you know the, the first initial of you know their first and last name, Leslie or Lois Lane, Lana Lang. You know, I mean, he was he was really into it. I'm Laura. <laughs> but, um, but he uh, he really he really liked that name, but he couldn't use Lola because it was an actual person, so he changed it to Lois Lane. And by this time, he had been um, out of high school for about four years or so. So he, and, you know, there's there's this you know rumor or speculation that a lot of people thought that he may have taken the name Lois from. Uh, you know, some girls in high school that he went with. And, you know, he may have always liked the name Lois, and it may have been in the back of his mind, but I just kind of laid out for you, you know, more chronologically, how different pieces of the character came together. And, you know, she, she does come together as a very whole person, a female that's a whole person in 1938 and beyond. Right. She morphs, as we know, to lots of other Lois Lanes, but before that, I want to stay in the 1930s. Yes. And I'm interested in why you think that your dad felt that Superman should have a, not just a female film, but a love interest, bringing the romance into it to a degree. But, you know, we already talked about what prompted him to have the female. But why did he take it in the direction that he did? Uh, I think it was very important to to my dad. What, what was going to make Superman different than than other adventure comics that were out there was the human element. So here he was, and you know, when you you spoke earlier, Valentino, about you know the idea of the immigrants, and you know, here he here he was from another planet coming to Earth, but he was raised by a human family, the Kets. And so he got a lot of, um, he was really grounded. He was lucky to have fantastic parents. But when he got out into the world, my dad wanted him to have a continuing figure who would, would be sort of a touchstone for humanity. And so in addition to the fact that, that he loved her, at which grew over time, and, you know, and she loved him, there was also the fact that she was a real world person, and she she was fighting for justice in her own way, and he was as well. And so I, you know, my my dad's idea was the two of them were able to relate to each other, and they they were able to understand because they were both in their way fighting for truth and justice. That's, that's interesting because you, know, you have to think why would Superman, an alien being, be interested in a human woman? Right. But so, in, you know, that, that describes sort of why Lois Lane would be appealing to him. But how does Clark Kent fit into that symbiosis, this, this triangle of human, alien, and woman that's endured for almost 80 years? Yeah. Well, of, of course, he was raised as Clark Kent, you know, by the Kents when, when he arrived. 
he was at times more Clark Kent than Superman um, because he he always was was a figure who cared about about the people around him. He cared about his community, and even though he couldn't be as Clark, you know, didn't reveal that he was also Superman. One one of the reasons for that was. My dad wanted wanted uh, Clark Kent to be a reporter. First of all, my dad had been a reporter for a school newspaper, so he identified with that. But but also the fact that 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 being a reporter would put him in a situation where he could learn about things that were going on out of the world, and, and he could see where he could fit in and help. So so as a human. As a reporter, he was trying to help people. He identified with Lois and, and actually enjoyed the fact that there was there was this sort of banter between them and, and the fact that sometimes Lois would be trying to beat him to the story and uh, because she was such, such a, a great person. She was very independent, as, as I said before. And so um, he... he Took that desire to to help people to to a, a higher degree than we as humans are able to do, and so his his alien background and his superpowers kicked in, and so he was able to get there faster. He was able to do something that required super strength that that an ordinary human couldn't do. Uh, but in order to protect the people he loved, who knew what his secret identity was, he, you know, kept those parts of his life separate. And does that answer your question, or that, that, that answers my question? It, it makes me think we're talking about the golden age of comics right yes. now. We're talking about when your dad is particularly enmeshed in, in this storyline, which we which know some people would say he started. So. Oh, yes. <laughs> right. And it's so it's. I, I favor it. I'm all about the golden age of comics, but we have many things that happen subsequently, and Lois Lane becomes a very different type of figure at different times. You know, they do return to the origins. So I'm wondering, are, is there any incarnation of Lois that you find particularly troublesome with the sexualized Lois or the comic that was just, you know, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane? which was very romance-oriented. So can you comment on sort of some Lois Lane informations? Yeah, of course. Um, one, one of the things that my mom always used to mention to me from the time that I was quite young, after my dad was no longer, you know, there was a period of time, you know, between 1948 and the, uh, the very late 1950s, you know, for about 10 years, that due to a lawsuit, my dad was no longer working on the character. And during that time, things began to change. And one of the things that my, that my mom always used to say that annoyed her was the fact that uh, subsequent artists, after Joe was no longer doing it, would, would draw Lois to look like their wives. Because if she met their wives, you know, she would have a, you know, like a bob, like a, a very short haircut. And so, you know, so each artist was paying a tribute, in a sense, to a woman that was important in their lives by changing the look. So that was one thing, and I agreed with her. But, but when it comes to the portrayal of the characters, what, one of the things that, because my mom and I were, you know, very much for female empowerment, um, we didn't 
we didn't like uh, the, the period of time in the 1950s when, when Lois was changed to become a more subservient person. Uh, you know, her role became uh, that of almost a sidekick. And, uh, and, and she no longer had the kind of boxing and, uh, and the, the ambition within her career. And let's face it, you know, Lois Lane was a career woman at a time, you know, in the 1930s when there weren't a lot of women who were working in journalism. There were some. And then, you know, along came the Torchy Blaine and, you know, later on, Rosalind Russell and Michael Friday, who started showing that women could perform in a man's world and do the job, do the job just as well. And that was under, you know, my dad's you know, time with the character. And, and also some of that, you know, has to do with, um, with my dad's mom, who is also a very strong and independent woman. So he grew up liking that idea. But when, it, when he was no longer associated with the character, I think at that time the publisher became, uh, became interested in wanting to reflect what society's view of women was at that particular time. And, and just like in movies that you see from the 1950s, you know, it, the woman is portrayed as housewife. Uh, very few of, of the women worked. But Lois Lane needed to continue to be a reporter, but a lot of the main thrust that, that we didn't care for had, had to do with, uh, with her no longer pursuing stories and social justice work, she seemed to be more interested in uncovering Superman's secret identity. Mm-hmm. And so that became her, her main... Uh, I don't know. The, the art of her character had more to do with a competition between the two of them instead of seeing the, the similarities between them as human beings and, and both of them fighting for justice. So she was less fighting for justice and more fitting into... Um, you know, society's view of what a woman should be at that time. And my mom and I didn't like that. And we didn't like her, you know, it was kind of a subservient label to call Lois Lane Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. But that's how people identified with it at, at certain periods of time. And uh, we, we're talking about Phyllis Coates and, um, and, uh, <laughs> I yes. No, uh, at that particular time. And Phyllis Coates was much closer to my dad's idea of, you know, of uh, the strength that Lois Lane should portray. By the time, uh, by the time the Adventures of Superman came out, <coughs> Lois was was following more was you know following what was established in the comics as the type of woman that she was, and and you know. I'm not demeaning, you know, uh, Noel at all, but she was portraying what the change that had occurred in the comics to a certain degree. I mean, she still had boxing, she was still, but she was mostly her her mission seemed to be getting into trouble all the time. <laughs> that, that was more of like a cutesy romantic kind of rivalry period at different times. But that brings me to, you know, there's many iterations of Lois Lane right. in comics, certainly, but. The general public tends to more like the media, Lois Lane, right? Television shows, right. and there's those of us who read comics 
assiduously, and those of us who also watch movies like Margot Kidder, Christopher Reed in the right. 70s, or Terry Hatcher with Lois Lane, and we have the Smallville series, and even the early shit, um, George Reeves. So there's, you know, it's the media that a lot of people wrestle on to. Is there a media Lois Lane that you favor, or one that irritates you? <laughs> well, I just talked about television, so you, you, you know that I, you know, that I prefer the portrayal, um, you know, of strength that, that Phyllis uh, was putting out there. When you go way ahead to uh, to the Lois and Clark series, um, Terry Hatcher had a charm to her. She was very charming. And the goal of that particular show was it was supposed to be a romantic comedy. And so it was less about their place in the world. It was less about seeking justice. And it was more about, and which was a very interesting concept to explore, it, it was more about the, the relationship between coworkers. And, uh, and who were admitting to each other by this point that they had this mutual attraction, and then it you know it it reflected the uh, the, the freedom in society for for men and women, and women to live together to do different things that you know would have been permitted in the golden age of comics. So we actually we really when I say we I'm talking about my whole family, my dad, my mom, and I liked clothes and clothes. And, um, and by that time, my dad had become back associated with the character, and his name was was getting back on uh, on both movies, and you know, like like everything that had come out, whether it was a movie or television or print, after 1978, because of of the, an agreement between DC Comics and my parents. Um, my dad and Joe Schuster got created by credit again, which changed everything, you know, for for my dad and for his sense of pride and for the fact that people in the future were going to know that this idea had come from him and, you know, and had come from two kids, you know, who, who lived in Cleveland. So we actually went to my dad, you know, by the time this happened, my, my dad had passed away, and, and it was difficult. But my mom, my sons, and I went to the set. We visited the set of Lois and Clark. And uh, you know, between takes, you know, uh, Dean Kane lifted my two sons up on his arm, and I got a picture of him holding them up and doing the Superman pose. And, and they were like little kids at the time, so it was like real big and exciting. And, um, and we, had, my mom and I had a really nice exchange and took pictures with Terry Hatcher, so that was great. But before that was, you know, the, the string of Superman movies starring Christopher Reeve. And that happened exactly at the time that, that my, my dad and Joe got the credit back. And so Superman the movie was the first time that, you know, in, you know, since the 19, late 1940s, that there was an identification that said Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And we went to the premiere of that. And one of the big things that my mom loved was she got to meet Margot Kidder. And so there were actually pictures of the two lowest lanes that appeared in newspapers because people were taking pictures of that. My mom and all of us loved Margot Kidder's portrayal. It was, it was fun. 
It was business-like. It, you know, it just really hit the right tone. And, uh, and my mom, you know, kind of corresponded with, with Margot Kidder, and we met her again, in, you know, in much later years. And, and so there was always a great affection, particularly for those two portrayals. And those are the those are classic ones. Right. Yes, when I do think about Superman on film, I do think about Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder flying through the air with the beautiful Williams music yeah. in the background. Yeah, it was fantastic. It, it was it was romantic. It was beautiful, and you know, it, it just hit right time. So I want to step away from the Lois Lane character for a second. And 13 years passed between the time that all of this happened and all the imagery and so forth. Yeah. And so. How did your how did your parents meet up again, and how did they how did their loves their love story come to be? Yeah, it, you know that's that's fun and it's interesting. I mean, after my mom posed for Joe, which as I said was 1935, she left Cleveland and you know wanted to pursue becoming a, a professional model, and so she did that in Boston and you know in different areas she was modeling, but then she. She started doing other things. By the way, before she left Cleveland, she uh, she went to one of that, and I have this written down somewhere. One of one of the radio stations here in Cleveland, because she also, in a sense, she wanted to be a reporter, she wanted to be a model, and she also wanted to be an actress because she was inspired by all these movies. And so she she they were doing radio dramas here at one of, the, um, one of the, the radio stations in Cleveland, and she went and applied for the job, and, uh, and the man was very interested in, in hiring her, and he said, you know, come back next week, and that seemed too long for her, and so she never went back, and she always regretted that she didn't, because she said that could have led to an entirely different course of, of action. But to get back to your question, so for 13 years, my mom was doing a lot of very interesting things and traveling around the country and, you know, started on the East Coast and traveled along with, with a friend all the way to California. And um, and the theme of a lot of things that she did, of course, it was still the Depression. It was hard to get work, but she did. Uh, she was a photographer. She uh, worked uh, when World War II started and she had gotten to California. She, she was like a Rosie the Rip, you know, Riveter type. She uh, worked on, uh, on building aircraft carriers uh, in, a, in a particular base in California. And so when, and during that period of time, she got married to a newspaper man who was working at the, the Herald Examiner in, uh, in Los Angeles. And it was a very bad marriage. Uh, in the meantime, my dad, in, you know, in Cleveland, and, and Joe kept in touch with my mom. Joe, you know, corresponded with her through the years, and uh, and, and I have those letters, which is really kind of cool. But um, in in addition to that, you know, my dad had started dating a, a woman who was in Cleveland. She's a, a, a neighbor of his, and he got married. And so, you know, my dad wasn't corresponding with this woman that had, that had been a model. So he had no actual contact with my mom for 13 years. Joe did. And so when, when my mom's marriage broke up and my dad's marriage was also a terrible marriage, and, and that, that was breaking up in 1948, my mom had traveled back to Cleveland to live with her family. 
And, um, and Joe was in New York. And so they were still writing to each other, and Joe said, hey, there's gonna be this cartoonist ball, and all the, you know, the famous cartoonists are, are going to be there at, at the Plaza Hotel in New York. If you, do you think you could come to New York? Because if you do, I'd like to take you as my date. And so Joe, the artist, you know, was took, and you know, my mom said, this sounds like fun. And so she went to New York, and, uh, and Joe took, took my mom as his date, but then he was called away to do some art, you know, like an art auction. And my dad was there. And so they started talking, they started dancing together, and they fell in love. And uh, a few months after that, uh, you know, when, when my dad's divorce was complete, they got married, like, almost immediately. And, and the thing that parallels, well, this, this was, you know, like, early artwork. So you can see, again, how they, here's, here's uh, they got married at the Commodore Hotel in Cleveland, <laughs> University Circle. And uh, this, this was from the reception. I want to introduce my cousin, <laughs> Greg Halco, and his son, Greg, Greg Jr., their mom, who was my, my mom's sister, was at this. This was, you know, a family event. And, you know, and of course, my dad's side of the family got to meet my mom at a different event that they had. But, you know, so the families got, got to know my mom. And my, you know, my mom's family got to know Jerry. And they, every, everybody fell in love with them as a couple. So they had a lot of, a lot of support. And one of the wonderful things was that both of them had already suffered, you know, tragedies. Their their lives were kind of filled with tragedies. And it, it all sort of, you know, came to to this perfect place in nineteen forty eight where both of them found the the youth and the enthusiasm that they had had when they first met 13 years earlier. And I think that was a big component of them falling in love and through their entire marriage. Because my mom, as Lois Lane, and, you know, and, but, you know, as herself, but carrying those same qualities that my dad found in her the very first time they met, she applied that to helping my dad at a time when he really needed a lot of help. Mm. So explain to the audience he needed a lot of help because of you know, <coughs> Superman and showing the background on that. And I have a few more questions. I sure. Want. Well, you know, so so they got married and, and they moved from Cleveland to the to the East Coast. And uh, my my dad was working on um, on another project with Joe uh, because they they were no longer associated with Superman after uh, you know a, a lawsuit had concluded in 1948, and they were working on something called Funny Man. And so, uh, which was another superhero, but he was like a, a comedian by day, a superhero uh -huh. by night. <laughs> and, uh, it, it was published for a while, but it, you know, was not a hit like Superman. And uh, and so, that was really the only thing that they had going for them. And uh, my dad found out that because he he was applying and he couldn't get work. And he was creating other characters along the way too, and he couldn't get work. And then somebody told him that he had been blackballed from the from the comics industry, and so he couldn't get a job. He did get a couple of jobs, but they they only lasted for a brief period of time. And when he was working 
my mom, you know, kind of was his secret helper because he was working at Zip Davis, which was a publisher. He became the, uh, the editor of a division that they started, the comics division for this, this public, uh, uh, this publisher. And one of the ideas, actually my mom came up with the idea for G.I. Joe. And so the first time that G.I. Joe was published, my dad brought it to the publisher and they, they started, you know, doing comics and my mom was working with him behind the scenes. So she was helping him and then a very similar thing happened and, and he lost his job there and was unemployed for many, many years. And so my mom had the strength and the guts to talk to the publisher at DC Comics and say, this isn't right. You know, uh, nobody knows the characters, you know, Lois Lane included and Superman better than Jerry. And uh, you've, you've got a lot of people who are writing this. By that time, you know, things had exploded. This is the early 1950s. And it was just when the TV show was, was about to go on. And so, you know, my mom called and called and called and left messages. And uh, finally, and, and she talked to the top guy there who wouldn't talk to my dad because there was bad blood between the two of them. But he took my mom's calls. And, you know, my mom was, was, you know, straight to the point. She was businesslike and said, look, this makes good business sense for you. And it's good for us. And, you know, we don't want handouts. Don't give us handouts or money, you know, because we're in poverty. Jerry wants to work and he wants to be paid for the work. And because of my mom, and, and they had ignored the, you know, similar letters from my dad. Because of my mom, he was put back to work in 1958 and worked until you know, around 1964, and wrote a lot, of, a lot of key and seminal stories about Superman and Lois Lane. He was writing the entire Superman family. He did you know, Justice League stories. And, um, and so, at times, he was directed by, by the editors to do a story that he didn't particularly care for the way that Lois was being portrayed at the time. But he did do, he, he was very proud, he did the first imaginary story. You know, they had a string of stories, of the, the imaginary story of what it would be like if Superman and Lois Lane were married. And, you know, of course, he was married to Lois Lane, so in real life. So uh, that was a story he enjoyed writing, and it was a popular story. And he actually wrote the first Death of Superman story that appeared in the 1960s. And, and he won like an award for it and everything, but at that time, nobody knew that he was writing the stories because his name didn't appear on it. It was just a private thing. He was just paid like any other any other author. And my and my mom was responsible for continuing to support him and to, to you know eventually get his name on it. So there came a time during you know during this period that I'm talking about when that we can go to the next picture. They're not this one. Okay, so, so here I am with my mom. <laughs> and, you know, as you can see, she was this, you know, beautiful, and this is a very model-like photo of, of her with me. And so she was a, an enormous role model for me, if, you know, as, as herself, and, you know, me knowing that, that she was Lois Lane. Of course, I learned more about the Lois Lane thing after I was two and a half, but you know, and, but still, she was she was this amazing woman to to grow up with, and this is during that period of time when she was making those phone calls, 
and gentlemen getting the phone calls and then eventually got my, my dad to, to go back to work there. But um, during that period of, of time, she also could see that while my dad was thrilled to be back writing, writing the stories, he, he was also aware of what was going on with, uh, with the copyright. Uh, and copyrights in the United States were sort of changing at that time. And the renewal copyright for Superman was coming up. And my, you know, my dad was finally working, and so we were able to pay our bills. He wasn't making a lot of money, but he was he was told that you know if he if he went after the uh, the renewal copyrights for Superman, he might regain ownership, and he might you know be able to ad advance his position and possibly get people to know again that he was writing these <coughs> stories that people loved. And so it was a big decision for our family because in order to do that, my dad had to give up his job that my mom had worked so hard to get for him. But he was brave and my mom was right there and said, do it. You know, do this because that's going to make you happy. And, you know, we felt that it was justice. And so the pursuit of justice was, you know, was a theme in our lives, in our personal lives. And of course, my dad wouldn't have done it if, it if he didn't have the support of my mom. So that renewal copyright went on for a long period of time. Of course, he had to leave, it, leave that job, and so we ended up in, in difficult positions. So my mom went to work, and so she, she had a, a number of interesting jobs. Uh, she used to say that she felt like, uh, like Lucille Ball in, in some of the some of the I Love Lucy episodes, like like the one when she was working on the candy uh, the candy line and you know, couldn't keep up with the automation, was stuffing it in her mouth. She had a similar experience. She worked for a comb company, and so you know, and they were like stamping you know the names of, of different businesses on on it. It was going by, and she couldn't keep up with it. But she did a string of jobs. She worked in a hat shop. She got any job that she could get to continue to bring money into the family when my dad, you know, really couldn't, you know, couldn't do that because of the legal things that were going on. Anyway, and so, so 1968, that thing, you know, kind of fell apart. And then uh, the next legal hurdle that my family had, had to, and so my dad was like working on jobs. I mean, the, we moved to California for my mom's help. And, um, you know, once, once we were in California, again, just like my mom was taking any job that she could get, he, you know, was applied and he got a job as a clerk. Um, the job was actually called clerk typist for the, uh, for the Public Utilities Commission in California. And so, you know, he was, was working there, he got some benefits. He was basically a guy in the mailroom. And because he could type fast, eventually they, they took up the typist portion of his, uh, of his thing. And he was also in, uh, in his, uh, what do you call it, Cons you know, like uh, having to take phone calls and complaints from people about their utilities. And so, you know, it was like the most horrible thing for him to, you know, he was trying to get justice for these people who were having problems. During that period of time, he was doing research because there was a library across the street from the Public Utilities Commission. And in that, uh, 
in that research that he was doing at the law library, he found out that there was a change in the copyright law. And so that, that change enabled authors who were exactly in my dad's category, who had not profited by their work, but their work was hugely successful. After a certain number of years, and you know, Superman was since 1938, after a certain number of years, the author or the author's heirs could apply to, to the, uh, the copyright department in Washington and go through you know, various proceedings and, you know, and, and claim to get their work back. So my dad and Joe by this time had been reunited, and, and so Joe, Joe joined in the, in the process. That wasn't working out. Uh, and so once again, my mom got involved, you know, Les Neal Adams and, and also Jerry Robinson, uh, who were fantastic artists who found out about my dad's plight because my dad decided to go public with this. Once again, that was going to cost us money. And so my dad, you know, asked my mom whether he could spend the last $200 that they had in the bank on postage and things. My, my dad wrote a letter about what was what was going on and um, and the fact that you know he felt that it was unjust for authors for himself, but he was also doing this for all authors who fell into this position to to not have any connection with with their creations, and uh, and so he sent a letter to every single media outlet in the entire country, whether it was print, television, whatever. And Neil, Neil Adams saw one of those letters, and he said, this is not right. And so he called up my dad and started, up there and got different talk shows interested in having you know, my dad and Joe as guests. So my, my dad was on the Dick Cavett show, the Howard Cosell show. I mean, a lot, a lot of different things, telling his story and explaining what was going on. And you know, my mom was right there to to support him about all of this, and that actually led to to DC Comics, you know, realizing this was not good publicity, you know, for them or for the character. And so the people who were in charge at that time were were very nice. I mean, they were still you know, business people, but uh, it, it had become Time Warner, and uh, and so the people who were in charge thought that it did make good business sense for them to, um, to to enter into an agreement with an agreement with my dad and Joe so that they would have a pension. And uh, and while those negotiations were going on, my mom was right there, you know, because my dad was wiped out. He he just said, I can't I just can't handle this anymore. He did the letter and he would do the talk shows, but he just when it came to the negotiations, he left that to my mom. And so my mom was was talking to the lawyers, and because of her work and Neil's work and, and everybody else, my dad, you know, and Joe got credit again, and uh, and, and got you know, twenty thousand dollars a year in medical coverage, and my mom, you know, and it didn't seem like very much, and it was just barely going to help, you know, help them survive. But my mom said, and when they were trying to decide to take the deal or not, my mom said, "Don't worry about it. I'll get the money out." <laughs> and she did. <laughs> she continued to negotiate. So things, things ended up better. Your mom, and we talked about this on the phone, she was very low slain like when yes. she took charge in this 
situation, she she was motivated by integrity. She was motivated by yes, justice, a word that comes up with Superman quite a bit. Yes. And I'm interested because we don't have a lot of time left because we're here we're here in the library where we have the celebration of Superman and certainly Lois Lane and the stories. We have three floors of exhibits of artifacts. Yeah, and my art, dad's desk and is there, desk, which is so terrific. And so there's a clear correlation between civic pride and Superman. Yes. Can you comment on this? <laughs> well, you know, my my dad and my mom were both Cleveland kids, and they never forgot their roots, and their families were still here. You know, I mean, most of the family stayed in Cleveland, and so so they they felt you know a clear connection to to Cleveland. Um, my mom, as as Mike Santiago knows, because he drove her around when she came. My my mom was was trying to get the city of Cleveland to recognize Jerry and Joe and to do something. I mean, what she had proposed was maybe in some park to have like a little meditation area that would be you know called the Cedarlands or you know meditation spot or whatever it was. But she she. Yeah, it was writing, just like she stood up for my dad, and she did many other things that we're not even discussing here um, that were very Lois Lane-like. When she got, when she had something that she wanted to accomplish, and she felt that it was the right thing to do, this Cleveland thing was the right thing to do. And uh, she started it before my dad passed away, and then my dad passed away, and she continued, and she continued to hold, hold the torch. And, and she fortunately had people who this resonated with. The never-ending battle people, you know, realized that it was, it was right for, for people to know that Cleveland was, was the spot of him. In Atlanta, you know, they, they preserved the house of Margaret Mitchell, you know, who, who wrote Dawn with the Wind. And so, you know, it made sense to my mom as like, doesn't Cleveland care? You know, wouldn't, wouldn't this be, be good for the city? Because it's, it's positive. Superman is positive. It offers, it offers hope and it offers inspiration. And it was at, at a time when economically, Cleveland wasn't doing that well. And I mean, it was a problem all over the country, but Cleveland was hit hard. And so, you know, her idea was to to honor Jerry and Joe, and also to bring inspiration to to others, and and also with the hope that things would uh, would improve for authors and artists, so that they would be recognized. Because it's you know, it's not just a character that that people love. Superman is kind of, you know, it's, it's one of the three most recognizable characters around the world, they say, you know, with Tarzan, Mickey Mouse, and Superman. And, uh, you know, they're wearing Superman shirts in China, Indonesia, and, you know, and everywhere. So, but it started here. And when, when people from Cleveland, and this ended up having nothing to do with the mayor's office because a different mayor got elected, and so, you know, her suggestion to, to the city of Cleveland did bear fruit. 
but it also, I guess, simultaneously occurred to you know to wonderful people here in Cleveland and after Never Ending Battle, you know, of course, the Siegel and Schuster Society, which did include members, you know, of of our family, uh, really started making inroads. And so I think once people began to identify Superman with Cleveland, Clevelanders really got developed a sense of pride and and wanted people to know that this was the place where it started. And, and so, you know, like amazing things that, that have happened in the last few years, I always say, you know, my parents who are no longer with us would have loved to see Superman license plates, would have, you know, been over the moon about seeing the display at the Cleveland airport. And, and all of those wonderful things that have happened here in Cleveland and have, have really been pushed forward by people who cared about that. It's not just Superman was created in Cleveland. It's Superman was created in Cleveland by these two guys who, you know, who were poor and who, you know, provided inspiration. And so I now, I, and I told you this story on the phone and I'll make it more. I, I went into a Barnes and Noble on one of my trips trips to Cleveland, and I was looking around to see, you know, their Superman cartoon section, you know, what books they were carrying and, and what uh, memorabilia they had. And uh, one of the employees saw me there, and he said, oh, he said, this, you know, all this Cleveland stuff, did, did you know that the two guys were <laughs> <laughs> from Cleveland? <laughs> and, and I for a minute, and I, I thought, am I going to out myself? Or, <laughs> not going to say anything. And, and clearly, he was such a fan. Uh, you know, so then I said, yes, as a matter of fact, I do know that. Because my dad was Jerry Siegel, and the guy almost fell over. He <laughs> was like so excited. But that to me was the turning point. That was after a lot of things had happened with the Siegel and Schuster Society. And, and I had been here for different events. And I knew that it, it had gotten through to the public. And the public, if you want a Superman license plate, next time you go to the DMV to your place, you can just get one. I love my Superman license plate. I tried to get Super MM. Uh, it's, already, it's already been um, chosen. Yeah, a lot of them were, were chosen. Yeah. There's, you know, I hope everybody had a chance to go through the exhibitions. There's obviously an astounding amount of Superman memorabilia. Right. And is there any most lame memorabilia that stands out to you? Yeah, and I wish I had it. Uh, there's there's one thing that I love. There's not a lot of, of Lois Lane memorabilia. You know, there are some statues, and it's up to two of them. I, you know, and I have a I have one of the. Uh, there was a statue that was done by a wonderful artist that shows Superman carrying Lois. You know, they're like flying over Metropolis. That's a great one, and I've got that in my living room, and, and I love that one very much. But what I wish I had was uh, a cell from the Fleischer cartoons, and at the moment it escapes me which one it is. I don't think it's Metal Monsters, but it's it's one of of the of the ones that Super, Superman is like covering Lois Lane with his cape because there's like lava coming, and so he's. He's protecting her with his invulnerable cape, and she's underneath it, and and it's it's just it's a wonderful moment in that cartoon. I'd love to have that cell. You you have a 
real love in your mom and you. You can work. You can work it potentially. <laughs> Rejected, they wouldn't. They, nobody would publish it because, but when I say nobody, it was the publisher said, "No, we don't want to show any weakness on the part of Superman." And so I got like this script, you know, that was <laughs> that was rejected that my dad wrote, and and so he actually created Kryptonite. But a lot of times, the radio show is given credit for doing it because they. They eventually took the idea and used it on the radio show, wow. which my dad had nothing to do with. He, had, you know, he was working on the comic books and not on the radio show. So it was my idea that in order to show that that he had a weakness because he was human, in, in a sense, that 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 was important to to rev up the you know the conflict and uh, you know and so that it wouldn't just be individuals, you know, or aliens, or, you know, or it would be just, you know, saving people all the time, that just like human beings have a weakness, Superman needed to have a weakness, and that's what he came up with. That's why. Thank you so much. Sure. Yeah. Um, with them both coming from Cleveland, do you know what the reason for the inspiration of having Superman or Clark Kent grow up in Kansas was? Like, what you know, actually, when he wrote it, he didn't, he didn't uh, originally say where it was. He just said the Midwest, you know, because he wanted the, val- the, the Midwestern values. And subsequently, uh, there, it, it was just added, not really by my dad. My dad never, never said Kansas. And when, uh, when things were developing, people always wanted to know where is Metropolis, <laughs> where is Smallville, and uh, you know. And so my my dad kind of wanted it to be an eastern city would be Metropolis, so that would be you know like the big city versus the you know the uh, the midwestern place. But uh, he he can't take responsibility for choosing Kansas. He probably would have chosen Cleveland. And in fact, if you look at some of the, I'm not sure whether it was the, uh, the newspaper strips 
or some of the comics. Occasionally, he would he would put things about Cleveland in. Were so there he, some buildings or something that he that in Cleveland that were in the comics? Well, or? you know that's an interesting question. Yeah. People have and, and people used to ask Joe, and it, it was it was funny with Joe. You know, he'd sort of tailor his answer to the audience that they was me There were times when when Joe said that the you know. Um, what is it? The Bell Building. It's uh, it's changed its name a couple of times. But there's there's a building downtown that that people used to say he used that to to look like the Daily Planet building. But he also gave interviews in Canada, which is where he was born, that said he was inspired by the the landscape of of. Uh, Toronto, which, which was where where he lived until he was about eight years old. So it's a few. That, that is a legend. I don't know which one he chose because he gave both answers. <laughs> but they came here, and I actually went to the high school. It was a junior high when I went there. David, you went to Rollinsville, and the teachers didn't know because they never told us. Yeah, yeah. The guys who created Superman. I mean. That would have been so great to know it when I was in I know, and, and I do have to tell you, I give a lot of credit to uh, to the, the principal, wonderful principal that is at the current Glenville High School, uh, because I interviewed her for the documentary that I'm doing. Okay. And, uh, and, you know, whenever I went to Cleveland or I go to the library, they'd show me things that my dad wrote, you know, in, in junior high, in the, kind of in the newspaper and articles that, that he wrote for their literary magazine. They would always say, come, come and speak in a class. So they would pull me into a classroom with kids and I'd be introduced. And, you know, the kids who walked by my dad's house every day on the way to school were in shock because at that point people didn't know. And, and I saw their faces light up and it was wonderful. And so by the time I, I got to meet, you know, the, the principal, Who's there? They started telling the kids, and so they would have an exhibit, for instance, in the library, or they they had a poster up to inspire the kids. And so that has changed, and a lot of that has changed because the the consciousness of Cleveland as being being the place has has helped. And and I think you know all of the buses of school kids that arrive at my dad's childhood home and. The, you know the lovely gray couple that that live there right now allow them to come in. Says so that inspirational. It is inspirational, and you know that's that's the point. So and as, as the current torchbearer for the for the family, mm-hmm. uh, you know I I just I want to see that go on. And you know and we're and you know uh, in the last panel, uh, Michael Shesky mentioned that, you know, what are the missions of the Siegel and Schuster Society from any money that, that comes in, for instance, and it's not a lot of money, but we get a little bit of money from the license plates, the sale of the license plates, for instance. The whole purpose of that is to do something good and give back to the people of Cleveland. So I've designated with him some some charities that that I particularly want money to, one for each of the people, you know, for my dad. It's the Cleveland Public Library because that that makes go out and buy those books, but he was able to read them here and, and develop his love of literature. And for, for my mom, she went to uh, Fresh Air Camp, uh, with, is what they called it, uh, you know, in, in uh, the days when she was about 12 or 13. 
that changed her life because she was she was mal malnourished and her teachers nominated for her, her to go there because she, by the way, was the top journalism student at, at Rawlings High at Rawlings uh, Junior High, and uh, and so they nominated her to go to this fresh air camp, and she learned about nutrition. There was a dentist who looked at her teeth and gave her fillings, and so that's my designation for for you know money in my mom's name and for Joe Schuster who always had a vision problem. It's it's a, a Braille Institute program that's specifically for Cleveland kids who have vision problems. Very cool. Yeah. I have, uh, a, I, have a, uh, I have a poster for you. Did you? Yeah. Oh, wow. Fantastic. <laughs> very excited. Let's try it. The other question is, yeah. in the 50s, when uh, Superman first came on television, did you and your family sit around with your dad and watch the program, and was there any comments? My dad couldn't watch it. No? <laughs> we, couldn't, we couldn't watch it. And, and it, was, it was difficult for me, because when kids at school found out, first of all, they teased me and they, they said I was a liar. My mom and my dad couldn't have created Superman because, you know, why was I wearing, you know, not wearing fancier clothes and didn't live in a better house? Um, but when kids did know, or, or if kids didn't know and they were talking about, hey, did you see Superman last night? He did this and he did that. And, and I was like the fly on the wall listening because I didn't know what was going on in the TV you know, program because we couldn't watch it. It was it was too painful at that time. Yeah. Um, I've had fortunate occasions and I graduated from Bloodville and uh, we're doing a new display yeah. for uh, the school and you know in honor of your father. Cool. You know what what my parents did, and and speaking here today is particularly important to me. I, I have to just tell you this from my heart. People have eventually, they have gradually come to know about my dad and Joe. Most people still don't know about my mom. And uh, and yesterday, I have mentioned this already. Yes, yesterday would have been my mom's one hundredth birthday. Ah. Yeah. Here we are. This this was this was my family, and always will be my family. They are, they are in my heart every single day, and anything that I can do because they were so inspirational. The things that they did for the community that, that nobody knows about. The things that that they try to accomplish in the name of artists and writers, and to be an example. For people, I mean, it was painful when they were they were the example of what not to do. You know how to you know don't sell your your uh, they, and they never realized that they were selling it. You know, I mean, all of those stories are important for people to know so that they can learn from it and they they can benefit by it. And so that's that's what we felt 
And you know, this this in picture really tells you a lot about the feeling that we have for each other, and then project that out to Cleveland and the world. I'm sure they're in heaven now, seeing all of these things happen. Yeah, so. I I really believe that. So every, every time I speak in Cleveland, I feel as if their spirit is there. Mm-hmm. Yes. We can take one more question, but then we'll be outside afterwards and we can talk some more. From your earliest comics, uh, there was always kind of a uh, an interesting contrast between the way Lois Lane felt towards Clark Kent, kind of disrespecting him for being, like you said, meek and mild, right. uh, but you know, yearning for Superman who was brave and everything Clark Kent wasn't. Was there was that? fully a function of your father's personality kind of being, and insecurities kind of being brought into the comics? Was there some of your mother's personality that kind of made it into that character in that aspect? That was autobiographical on the, on the part of my dad. Because, you know, and, and that is one of the legends that happens to be true to, to a certain extent. When, when he was in high school and junior high, he had, you know, this burning desire with him, and he knew that he had greatness within himself, and he could do something and make a contribution to the world. And yet, you know, he was the guy that, you know, people were pushing around in the hallway, and nobody noticed him. And, um, you know, it, it, you know it, girls that he would long to, you know, to go out on a date with didn't know that he was alive. And so, you know, that was that was where it came from. Uh-huh. But it, it manifested itself in, a, in kind of a literary way. My mom never rejected him. My mom never. My mom always saw the Superman in him, and I think that was one one of the most important things about about their relationship. Uh, she she saw who he was inside, and the idea that everybody has has strength within them that other people don't see. Right. I think is you know part of the lasting success of Superman. Oh yeah. Oh. So even somebody that he had a relationship with, you know, that Superman was appreciated by Lois. There there's always that fear of rejection by by the person that you love the most. And so that was a very human aspect. And I think that's you know that's certainly part of the lasting appeal of Superman. Oh, yeah. We can all go outside and celebrate those.